I, uh, I heard a story about a, a man who lived in Berlin, Germany, and police were called to his house a number of times uh, because angry neighbors were upset with what he was doing because in particular he had a nasty habit of whenever he would get into an argument with his wife, thankfully I've never been in an argument with my wife because um, she's always right, and, um, but he had the nasty habit of when they would get into an argument and, and they were, or a disagreement and, and she would, she, he just got tired of listening to what she had to say, he would blast an air raid siren, like a World War II air raid siren, like one of those that is meant to go up on a rooftop, not to be in a home. And so uh, when he turned it on, it would go on and on for minutes and minutes, and he had neighbors that you know, obviously got ticked off every time uh, he would do it. But he said, it worked every time. And afterwards, there was real peace and quiet in the house. Well, eventually, a number of pl- complaints from his neighbors um, made the police eventually confiscate his siren. Uh, his wife later said, I like what she said, she said, my husband is a stubborn mule, so I have to get loud. Well, I guess that's one way of bringing peace to a situation. I don't know how many of you would uh, get new ideas from that story, but we are continuing in our series, as you can see, uh, The Good Life, we're calling The Good Life, a uh, series where we're walking through the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And as we come to our passage today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and I'm pretty sure that what Jesus has to say doesn't the, the story I just told you isn't exactly what Jesus is talking about when he talks about and says these words that we're going to read in just a moment. He says these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, <laughs> for they will be called children of God. I want to show you three pictures this morning. <clears throat> the first one is of a uh, forty-five caliber Colt pistol. Some of you may recognize this. Uh, this is a gun that they say won the Old West, right? Carried by legends such as Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. Uh, anybody know what this was called, by the way? The Peacemaker. Good job. Here's another second picture. Uh, this is of a B-36 bomber. Uh, one of the biggest bombers ever put into service by the U.S. Air Force. Set the standard for range and uh, payload uh, for subsequent U.S. intercontinental bombers. Uh, it, too, was called the... Any guesses? Peacemakers, right? Uh, here's a third picture, my last picture. This is of an MX missile. Uh, this missile by itself was capable of delivering 10 independently targeted thermonuclear warheads. Any guesses as to what it was called? The peacemaker, you would guess, and you would be wrong. It was called the peacekeeper. So, close. But uh, what's curious, though, and the reason I showed these pictures, <coughs> what's curious about these three things or those three things, is they are all weapons of war. And yet their names, peacekeeper, peacemaker, peacemaker, are synonymous. Their names are synonymous with the one who is called Prince of Peace. The one who spoke those words, blessed are the peacemakers. And the idea of peace coming through air raid sirens or weapons of war is really nothing new. It's been going on for thousands of years, including during the time of the Roman Empire, during which Jesus spoke these words. When he says, blessed are the peacemakers, and he speaks these words about peacemaking, 
the Roman Empire was the ruling authority in the world, including the land that Jesus was standing on. And this was a time known, as many of you know, studied history at all, uh, a time of what was called Pax Romana, which is Latin for Roman peace. And this was a political slogan that the Romans used in those times. And it was their way of telling the world that through our reign, through our way of doing things, the world is going to have peace. And make no mistake, Rome could enforce peace. Rome caused neighboring countries who were battling with each other to make nice with one another, much in the same way the parent might make two siblings get along with each other and play nice. Uh, Rome put a stop to piracy on the ancient highways and the seaways of the Middle East. Through force, Rome brought an awful lot of peace in its empire. And the whole point behind the idea of Pax Romana was to say, if you'll just bow to Rome and you'll confess Caesar as Lord, you'll find peace. And you will find the best life that you can have. By the way, Pax Romana was also behind the crucifixions. Crucifixions were Rome's way of basically saying to people, don't mess with us. This is, this is what we do to people who try to mess up the peace that we're trying to bring. But when Jesus speaks of peacemaking, he wasn't talking about the peace in the way the Roman Empire sought to make peace through force and conquest, but rather the kind of peace Jesus is talking about, I think can be understood, at least foundationally, in a couple of different ways. There's more than this, granted, but we only have a uh, half an hour or so to, to really unpack this. So let me just give you two foundational things that I think the, the peace Jesus is talking about. One, the peace that Jesus is referring to has more to do with God's reign and how God defines peace than any other reign and, and how anyone else defines peace. It's, it's not about the reign of Rome. It's not about anyone else's reign, including yours or mine, or how I might define peace. When Jesus talks about making peace, he's talking about God's peace. And the reason this is important is because a lot of times when we talk about, and we say phrases like, you know, I don't want to upset the peace, right? And we'll use those phrases. Most of the time, what we're talking about is not upsetting our peace, and not upsetting things going the way that I want them to go. And making sure that what I get is what gives me peace. And making sure that what gives me peace is not interrupted. And making sure that my agenda is not interrupted. It's peace that's tied to what we want. And our will and our agenda reigning. That's the peace that you and I so often are most tempted to try and make. And that's the kind of peace that Rome was concerned with. But that's not the kind of peace that Jesus is talking about. So what does that look like? Well, that leads me to the second thing, second understanding of peace, and it's this. The peace that Jesus is referring to has more to do with the presence of righteousness than the absence of conflict. And I hope you understand that, because that's kind of going to be central to a lot of what we understand this morning. And so I'll say it again. The peace that Jesus is talking about has more to do with the presence of righteousness than it does with the absence of of conflict. A few weeks ago, we talked about hungering and thirsting for righteousness. And when you're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, what Jesus means in that context is that you and I are hungering and thirsting for things to be made right, for a wrong situation in our lives or in our world to be made right. And not just right by any standard, right? We talked about this, but right by God's standard and by his perspective. And so let me give you a couple of verses to think about. Isaiah chapter 32 verse 17 says, the fruit of God's righteousness will be peace. 
That's the fruit. That's what God's righteousness produces is the, the, the fruit of peace. Psalm chapter 85 verse 10 describes this relationship between righteousness and peace by saying love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. In other words, they're connected. They go together. And so in Scripture, when God's righteousness is established, when things are being made right, when things that are wrong are, are taken and they're being made right, His righteousness and therefore His, ultimately His peace are settling in. And so when you and I are working toward things being made right, that can also be understood as us working toward bringing peace in those situations. And so I say all that to say peacemaking is not just two people in an argument making nice, Right? And saying, we'll, we'll, we'll find some common ground here. That, that's an expression of peacemaking, but it's a very narrow aspect of peacemaking. Peacemaking is really all about making things right where they've gone wrong. And that can involve so many areas in our lives rather than just, other than just making nice after an argument. I like how one old Jewish rabbi described peace. He described it in this way. Peace is nothing missing and nothing broken. I love that description and that idea of peace. Peace is nothing missing and nothing broken. And the reality is that we all know from experience that's the, that's the truth, right? That, that you can have an absence of conflict and still not truly have peace. I, I think about it in terms of a marriage. I've already talked about that a couple of times uh, the, this morning. But I heard a story about one couple who was in the midst of a pretty big argument and they got to the point where they just, they, they weren't getting anywhere with each other. So they said, we're just, we're going to give each other the silent treatment. Well, they didn't decide together. They each separately decided that they were going to give each other the silent treatment. And this went on for a couple of days. And so instead of talking, they wrote each other notes. So if they needed to communicate in any way, they would write each other notes. And one late night, they were getting ready for bed. And the husband had to get up early in the morning to catch a flight that next morning. And so he wrote a, a note to his wife that said, please wake me up at 5 a.m. I need to catch a flight at 8 a.m. Well, the next morning he woke up, rolled over, and realized that he had slept in until 8.15 in the morning. And at this point, he's in a bit of a panic because he's already missed his flight. Then as he began to look around, he noticed that his wife was already gone. She'd already headed off to work. And so by now, not only is he panicked because he's missed his flight, now he is mad because his wife didn't wake him up. And that's when he noticed the note on the pillow next to him. And the note said, it's 5 a.m., time to get up. <laughs> now they had silence, and to a certain extent they had an absence of conflict, but they certainly did not have peace. Because peace is more about the presence of righteousness and things being made right than it is simply about the absence of conflict. Peace is about bringing order and wholeness and healing and deliverance so that we can work together and relate to one another properly and in godly ways. And the reason why this is so important, <coughs> excuse me, is because if our interpretation of peace is simply the absence of conflict, then you and I are never going to address things where we may need to enter into some conflict. We're never going to face situations that need some resolution where there might be some initial conflict that we have to face. But they need resolution and they're not going to get resolution unless we enter into them. That, does that make sense? If we just think it's the absence of conflict, we're going to avoid those things altogether. 
And we wind up settling for artificial peace, for an artificial harmony. But Jesus isn't aiming, he's not talking about an artificial peace or an artificial harmony or just the absence of conflict. He's aiming for authentic peace and the presence of righteousness. And so with that in mind, let me just give you three takeaways today when it comes to us working toward that true, authentic peace that Jesus is talking about. And the first is this, working toward true, authentic peace means that along the journey, we have to be willing to leave our comfort zones and we need to be able to deal with some conflict at times. We have to be willing to leave our comfort zones, those places where maybe there's an absence of conflict and we're safe, we're, we're comfortable. We may need to leave those at times and deal with some conflict at times. That's why it's so critical not to equate peace with the absence of conflict. Because working toward peace will most likely require us at some point or another to get out of our comfort zones and deal with some kind of conflict. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you and I should seek out conflict. I'm not saying that at all. Or that you guys, you know, that we go out of our way to look for conflict or certainly not to even make conflict. But the reality is that peacemaking, hear what I'm saying, peacemaking isn't always a peaceful thing every step of the way. Does that make sense? I mean, that's the goal. It doesn't describe the total journey all the time. Peacemaking isn't always peaceful every step of the way. Think about this. I already mentioned Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace, right? Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. I'm just going to run through a few verses with you. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. In Luke chapter 2, verse 14, the angels proclaim at the birth of Jesus, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus himself said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. By the way, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but go read the end of that verse. I just wanted to quote the first part of that verse. Go read the end of that verse and see if that doesn't mean the presence of righteousness, not just the absence of conflict. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17, Paul says of Jesus, He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, Paul says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus was all about making peace and bringing peace, and yet he was often a source of, of conflict. Jesus himself had to leave his comfort zone and face some real conflict and even be a focal point of conflict at times. Consider these verses. In Luke chapter 2, when Jesus was born, he's taken to the temple uh, to be dedicated. And Simeon, who's there, says this to Joseph and Mary in verse 34. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. How many of you would like to have that blessing over your new baby, right? Or think about when Jesus cleans house in Mark chapter 11. He overturns the tables. He throws out all the money changers who had taken over the temple courts. Why does he do that? Well, he does that because the temple courts were the one area outside of the temple where the non-Jews, where the outsiders could come in and worship the one true God of the Jews, but the God who is ultimately over all people. And so the insiders were not allowing the outsiders. They were kicking them out. And so Jesus 
turns the tables over. He drives out all the money changers. And he says in verse 17, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus himself acknowledged the impact of his presence and the allegiance he's calling people to when he says this. This is some of the hardest verses in all of the Bible. He says this in Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 36. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I, have not, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now, to clarify, when Jesus says this, he's not saying that his ultimate goal, his ultimate mission is to divide people. He has still come to bring peace. He's still the prince of peace. But he's acknowledging the fact that his presence and his mission And following him calls us to an exclusive allegiance. And it may call us to make decisions and enter into areas and situations that have relational implications. Because we can't experience the peace of the kingdom without recognizing and submitting to the king above everything else. And Jesus goes on to acknowledge that, listen, not everybody's going to get along with him. Not everyone's going to see eye to eye with him. Not everyone is going to be at peace with the prince of peace. And the ultimate proof of that is where he winds up, right? On a cross. On a cross. The point is the prince of peace, the ultimate peacemaker, whose end game was to bring peace. Peace between us and God. Peace between each other, with each other. And even though that was his end game, He still had to face some conflict along the way and walk through it. And those are just examples of external conflict. I haven't even gotten to the internal conflict that you and I face, that we have to face. Sometimes peacemaking involves you and I walking through and dealing with some internal conflict as well. Just take your own relationship with Jesus Christ, for example. In order for you to have peace with God through the cross of Jesus Christ, you have got to come to grips with the reason that he had to go to the cross in the first place. That you are a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I'm in need of saving. And my sin is what put him there. We need the forgiveness that God offers through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We have, to, we have to accept the fact, we don't like to use this word very much, but we have to accept the fact that the cross is judging me and my sin. Whoa, Jesus, don't judge me, right? Don't judge me, Jesus. But that's what the cross does. And there's some internal conflict that's going on right there. And there's some people that never get past that point. Maybe some of you sitting here this morning still struggle getting past that point. But that's a form of internal conflict that must be faced in order to be able to come to God and receive his forgiveness and his grace and to find peace with him and in him. The point of all of this is to help us understand and see that peacemaking isn't always a peaceful thing every step of the way. And peacemaking sometimes involves you and me walking through some conflict, both externally and internally. And if there's anything that the life of Jesus teaches us, it's that peacemaking may involve some scars. Which leads me, to a second takeaway. If we're going to work toward true, authentic peace, here's the key. We have to be willing to bear more scars than we inflict. 
You and I have to be willing to bear more scars than we inflict. All this talk about conflict isn't meant to lead any of us to think that we need to be looking for a fight all the time if we want to be peacemakers. Like we're looking for conflict. How can I enter into conflict so that I can make this right? I'm not saying that, although we probably need to get in some, get our hands dirty more than what we do. I mean, the truth is for 2,000 years of Christian history, Christians have done a pretty good job of picking fights, if we're honest. I don't get too far down that road, but we've done a pretty good job. Unfortunately, we've, as we often say, we've majored in the minors and minored in the majors. We picked the fights where there there was no reason we had to, right? And, and, And we often don't enter into the conflicts where probably there needs to be more resolution. And the problem is that that we so often gravitate towards the wrong battles. Because they're battles that have more to do with restoring our peace. And, and less to do with restoring God's peace. Jesus was willing to face conflict. He was at the center of it. But in the end, he wound up bearing far more scars than he ever inflicted. And I think this is one of the ways, when you think about this idea, this is one of the ways you can know, is this me kind of, you know, entering into conflict or trying to make it right and trying to find my peace or am I seeking, am I truly seeking after God's peace? Because sometimes it's hard to know. Like, am I, do I just want to make this right because this is going to make things easier for me? Or I want my way? Or I want this person to know how I feel? Or, or, or is there really a wrong situation that needs to be made right and dealt with? And I think this is one way of knowing. If we're willing to bear more scars than we inflict, if we're willing to sacrifice more than anything else we're calling others to do, then I think that's a pretty good clue that we're seeking after the peace that, that God is after, seeking to make God's peace. But if we're willing for others to suffer more scars than us, if we're willing for others to sacrifice more than we are, then that's a pretty good clue that God's agenda has washed out our agenda. Or God's agenda has gotten washed out by our agenda. In the late 4th century, there was a monk by the name of Telemachus who lived in modern-day Turkey. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I told you a story about uh, another monk by the name of Simeon. He built a 50-foot pole, put a platform on top of it, and lived on that platform for like 30-plus years. Telemachus decided, I'm not going to go up, I'm going to go out. So he went out into the desert to kind of get away from humanity and kind of draw closer to God. And and he did write that he found a a fair amount of peace out in the desert. But after being out there for a while, he realized that he was pursuing God strictly for his own peace. And eventually he became convicted that he was going to serve God. He needed to serve others and help others find the same peace that he had found. And so he decided to return to humanity and of all places he went to Rome went back to Rome and when he arrived his first objective was just kind of view life and kind of take it in see where you know kind of a starting place to to where he needed to go and one of the things that he noticed about Rome was how much Christianity had grown within the city not only were Christians no longer being persecuted and killed but they were now allowed to meet in Public meeting places, churches were even being built. The name of Christ was even upheld by the Roman government at the time. But there was one pagan practice that was still going on and still lingering in Rome, and that was the gladiator games. 
Now, Christians were no longer uh, thrown to the lions and, and subjected to, to what was seen previous to that. But prisoners of war were still thrown into the arena to fight and to kill each other. And the Colosseum was filled with tens of thousands of people to watch these prisoners fight to the death of what was now supposedly supposed to be a much more, quote-unquote, Christian audience. And Telemachus was just shocked at what he saw. And so he decided to do something. One day he followed the crowds to the Colosseum for the day's events and he made his way through a number of barriers that were blocking people off. And he ended up getting into the Colosseum and got down on the Colosseum floor right in the middle of the arena. And he made his way right between two prisoners of war, two gladiators who were suited up ready to fight each other. And he began to just hold up his hands and he screamed out, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop. And at this point everyone's in shock. The gladiators didn't know what to do. I wish I could tell you there was a happy ending, at least to this part. The crowd eventually turned on him. And they killed him right there in the arena. Because after all, they'd come to see a show. Gladiator games were canceled for the rest of that day. They wound up being canceled for the next couple of days as well. And it wasn't too long until the Roman emperor... Honorius, who was so impressed by Telemachus's martyrdom that he decided to issue a historic ban on the gladiator fights. One historian observed the following about Telemachus. He said this, Telemachus's death was more useful to mankind than his life. I love that story. And Telemachus is yet another chapter in the long story of Jesus that reminds us that the best peacemaking is going to be done through sacrifice rather than a sword. And if we're really going to work toward the peace that God desires in any number of situations and circumstances in our lives, it's going to require some sacrifice on our part. And when it's done through sacrifice, perhaps that's when we're most recognized as sons and daughters of God. After all, It's God himself who provides the ultimate example of peace through his own sacrifice, that of his own son. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. The reality is that none of us will sacrifice more than what has already been sacrificed on our behalf. And that really leads me to the third and final takeaway, and it's simply this. Being peacemakers involves knowing the peace giver. Listen, you can't share what you don't have. You can't do it. And before you and I can ever live out the cross to others, we first got to come to the cross ourselves and working toward true authentic peace involves coming to the ultimate peace giver maybe today you're ready to give your life to jesus christ and be buried with him in baptism we would love to help you in that decision or maybe you've already given your life to jesus christ but but there is a situation or maybe a relationship in your life that needs some peace we would love to pray with you and encourage you in that But whatever it is, it has to involve coming 
to the peace giver. Because again, you can't share what you don't have. And if you don't have him, then you don't have peace. At least not true authentic peace. You may have an absence of conflict for a while. You may have some things that you want going your way that define your peace. But you don't have true peace because that's only found in him. May today be the day that you take hold of the peace that only he can give. And he wants to give it to you and put it in you so that you can make a difference and he can deliver it to the world around you through you to bring peace. Blessed are the peacemakers.